Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! Welcome to the show! Welcome to Popcorn Talk, the online movie network talking about movies and all things movie related. This is Action Movie Anatomy. I am your host, Ben Bateman, joined today... By the wonderfully dressed with a new tie every week, Mr. Look, Andrew man, Guy. I got an endless amount of ties. I'm wondering when you're going to run out. You just keep going and going. I'm going to have to, I'll just start coloring them myself once they run out. You're going to sharpie them? Yeah. It'll be a DIY show. <laughs> it's good. Hey, we have a very special guest. Uh, we have a very special guest. He, he is a featured writer, a movie critic, a longtime movie fan. Mr. Jimmy O. Hello. I like the tie, and I wore a tie specifically for this show. I appreciate that, sir. I hate ties. You got the black on black thing. It's I, got, a good I look. don't like. I, I pretty much everything in my closet is black. It's right, John so. Wick of you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. John Wick. Amazing. That's, That's a fist bump. Right That's a fist bump. Right yes. God, we haven't even started yet. I know. I I'm ready. It. I love ready. It. <laughs> so you're a long time movie guy. So so uh, Jimmy, if anybody's wondering, is a is a Joe Blow guy. He mm-hmm. reviews movies, writes about them. Huge action movie fan. We actually met at the uh, Mad Max Fury Road press junket. Yep. Um, and you were you were the first on it. I hadn't seen it. You saw it a couple weeks earlier. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I've I've seen it. I think ten times since. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. We met at the Skin Trade, and we talked about Fury Road. That's what it was. That's right. That's but, right. But uh, you were telling me it was your favorite movie of the year. Uh, so far, yeah. So far, unless something uh, really, really blows me away. I, I can't think of a movie I've seen ten times in a long time. Um, yeah, that was probably, for me, the best movie that I've seen this year. You yeah. were excited like a child. We oh, came I in was. here, and you literally said, that's the greatest action movie ever made. Yeah. Would you stand by it? Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. But I was like on a high, man. I was yeah. riding a them, high. Though. It is it's definitely one of, one of the yeah. best yeah. action movies ever made. Incredible film. But we are not talking about Mad Max Fury Road. No, today. we are not. We are talking about the legend of a film, the the McTiernan classic, nineteen eighty eight, Die Hard One, a movie that is yes. often credited as the greatest action film of all time. Now, yeah. I don't personally believe that. I don't either. But it is iconic and memorable, and and certainly great in its own right. Um, Oh, one of fantastic. one of the greatest. Yeah, I just yeah. don't know if it's the greatest. I feel it's, like I missed out growing up because there's so many people that told me that this is their favorite like family Christmas movie. Yeah, mine was like Christmas Vacation and like yeah. Miracle on 34th Street and crap yeah, like that. Sure. Wonderful Life. I would have much rather been watch. Well, maybe not over Christmas Vacation, but <laughs> Die Hard. Really? Like I would have yeah. loved to have mm-hmm. watched this every Christmas. Every Christmas, I've got two movies. I got I got Black Christmas because I'm sick, it's a good and one. I've got it's a good Die one. Hard. That That's hurts. absolutely, absolutely. It's so digestible. It's like it's so easily mm-hmm. likable. And, and it's another one of those things where even though the movie's aged, and it's aged more than that of T2 and that of Aliens, yeah. it's aged in a great way where you feel like you're going on a ride. Yeah. You know, like you're going on a ride right back to the 80s. It's a time capsule. There's actually, and, and we're going to show the trailer here in just one second, but uh, it's funny, like the first shot in the trailer is McLean in the airport and you see the girl in like the white right. like like a belly button high spandex yeah, yeah, yeah. jump onto her guy and you're like this is 1988 <laughs> like this is clearly California 1988 like it, and it's just the whole time it never really it's like unrelenting yeah. you know but it's in it's not in like oh this movie feels dated it's like a this is an action movie that was made in 1988 just like yeah. Lethal Weapon yes. where this feels like it's time period it's correct 
you watch certain movies and you're, you're watching them and you watch the clothes, the hairstyles, and you're like, this feels like a period piece yeah, more right. than like, oh, wow, this is bad. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's exactly how this movie feels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's cue the trailer. We'll, uh, we can kind of trailer get up. a little bit of uh, <laughs> a little bit of looks. We'll, we'll introduce the, the criteria for the movie and why we picked it and all that. I'm mm. excited we get to talk about this movie. This is our last episode in this studio. Yes, it is. 20, this will be our 21st episode. Episode 21. There it is. The white pants. Yeah, we get wow. to do. Excellent. She is hot, though. Oh, she's smoking hot. Excellent. I don't even know if we see her face in the movie. No, no. you just see her ass. Yeah, yeah. you don't need Bottom. to. Bottom. Great. But see her butt. Her gluteus maximus. I love the og. Instead, yeah. he's going to have to save her. What's funny about this, though, is because this movie doesn't take itself very seriously, like, because it's it's, it's in on the joke, Yeah, and it's the first one. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the one that's referenced all the time. When the trailer is so corny, he's going to have to save him. It's not like when you watch the Born Identity trailer, which right. is the same. It's like, he's as, you know, he's as deadly as any. Like, yeah, when you watch yeah. that trailer, you're like, this is terrible. You watch this trailer, you're like... What is he like, danger is born or something yeah, like that. It's and so yeah, bad. it's so bad. Mm-hmm. But this is also like 25 years before that. But this feels far more fitting. The style of trailer, which is all kind of like silly and campy, yeah. it matches the movie. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it shows all the right things. Because that, that happens a lot in trailers where they don't, they don't show the right things back in the day. Yeah. Oh. They have already one I love this. What, is it like new comparison shopping? Does <laughs> that like I'm ordering a pizza? Yeah. <laughs> I love this. He's like running from a minigun. I love it. It's a good trailer. It's a perfect great for what it trailer. Is. Yeah. It's a when, great trailer. When you consider this movie is 1988, most of the trailers we review from 1988 are god-awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even Unwatchable. the ones we, we watched from 2000 are god-awful. Yeah. yeah. Gladiator was was not... Well, I kind of love it. Gladiator's a bad trailer. It's not that bad. <laughs> not that good either, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's no Dark Knight or Interstellar trailer 2. No. Ah, oh, Interstellar. <laughs> Coming back. I almost watched it last night just to watch I it. I watched it like a week ago. Yeah. Huh? Love yeah. that movie. I do too. I love that line. Only John can drive yeah, someone like that it. crazy. He's an easy guy to like. I love that line. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Die hard. Got invited to the Christmas party by mistake. Who knew? Who knew? Oh, so good. <laughs> His face, everything, it's so good. The Love music. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just funny that that genre is... Well, right, we'll get to that in a second. So, guys, mm-hmm. as we mentioned, this is Action Movie Anatomy. We pick movies on this show that, generally speaking, adhere to four criteria. Uh, aside from being made 1981 or later, which just generally feels like sort of... Uh, they don't... It's hard to feel dated... It's too easy to feel dated before that. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. absolutely. So the four rules are, number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Rule number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people or beings or aliens or whatever in the room. Uh, rule number three, the hero is always a police, military, or political figure. And rule number four, there's at least one explosion. So sometimes we break the rules, sometimes we skip one. This movie does not break any of them. No, it doesn't. 100%. Like, honestly, guys, and if anybody who's watched a lot of this show, if you, any of you are wondering or you listen week to week, we came up with the rules by basically listing the 50 movies we felt like in an action movie, sort of 80s, 90s way. Like, what did these all have in common? common. Yeah. yeah. It was like, and we started to come up with, you know, what were the similarities? And that's when we made the rules. Obviously, there are some things that you just have to skip. 
And it happens every once in a while, but for the most part, we try to stick to them. Some things, like, we really try to not do superhero movies. Yeah. You know, things like that. Or We did a, Jurassic World, and we kind of felt like, you know, this is a great movie. This is a great series. This doesn't really fit our show. It's an show. adventure movie. Yeah. We try to stay away from adventure movies. Indiana Jones probably doesn't really qualify. Star Wars, things like that. Yeah. But so, anyway, nonetheless, this is Die Hard. This is maybe the greatest action movie of all time, according to a lot of people. What we are going to do to start the show off is we're going to share our thesis statement, and we are going to share our fist pump moment. But before we do that... I want to remind you guys to please check out the rest of the shows on the Popcorn Talk Network. There's Anatomy of a Movie, which plays every Friday. It's kind of like our sister show. They do yeah. uh, in-depth reviews of new movies that come out every single week, cool. as well as the fact, help us stay high in the ratings and, and get new fans and do the show. We provide free content every week, and we will continue to provide free content. But to do that, it's very helpful if you guys can give us a rating and a review on iTunes. As we continue to mention, we're having a delay on the Action Movie Anatomy mugs that we ordered. But uh, we are going to be giving those away. We've given one away already. and We're we, doing it bi-weekly? We're doing it every other week? I, I know I've made this very complicated for people. So this is what, this is what we're going to do. This is set <laughs> in stone. From here on out, these are the rules. This is set in stone. So you guys helped us out. You got us to 10 reviews in a week. I'm going to write this down. Started giving away one mug a week. For that reason, we will be announcing our mug winner at the end of this week. The new rule is, as soon as we get to 20, as soon as we get to 20 reviews on iTunes, that's not just a rating, that's a review as well. Mm-hmm. We will start giving away three mugs every two weeks. Three mugs every two that weeks. That comes out to a total of 1.5 <laughs> mugs per week. So we're going to send one of you a broken mug. <laughs> <laughs> That's the deal, guys. Help us get to 20 reviews. We'll revisit the thing then. But at that point, we will start giving away 1.5 mugs per week. We're at 13 reviews right now, I believe. So just keep it yeah. keep it rolling and help us oh, out. Yeah. Uh, and beyond sweet. that, let's share our thesis statement. So if you guys want to interact with us on, on Twitter or on YouTube, let us know. What do you guys got? It's a bold statement about the movie. Something no. it's not loose, it's not soft, it should be should be rooted in hyperbole. You know, we walked in the door uh, this morning and our executive producer, Steven, was like, your guys' guest is in the back, he's waiting, and he has a phenomenal thesis statement. Oh. Yeah. So I've been waiting to hear it for about yeah. half an hour now. Well, frankly, Die Hard fucking made action movies what they are today. That's that's it because before then there were there were no, you know, they did the good thing, they didn't kill anybody. John McClane is not your average hero. In no, fact, no. the problem is he is your average hero. He's not a Superman. He's he's a real guy that we can all relate to, that we can all go, yeah, I know this guy. I, I, he lives next door. And it's just badass on every yeah. fucking level. Yeah. God, I love this movie. Can you tell? Yeah. I, can, <laughs> I, I fucking love this I, movie. You know, I would yeah. totally agree. It's the same thing that yeah. it's like, I can't be Jason Bourne. No. I can't no. do it. No. Can I be John McClane? Maybe. Right, you know what I mean. Put yourself in a situation, lock yeah. yourself in a building with with Hans Gruber, and no, maybe shoes. you can. I can yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, make fists with your toes, man. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. I love that scene. Yeah, God, I love that scene. Classic. You can. I guess, if you, I guess if you pause the movie and zoom in close enough, you can actually see the fake shoe feet that he's wearing because they, uh, they design things for for him to put over his bare feet, so he you know actually cut them, get glass all over his feet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I have I didn't actually take time to do that. Uh, my bold <laughs> statement, my thesis statement, is that this is probably the greatest return on a blind investment for a production company ever, mm. ever because of five movies. Because was... five movies, this movie they paid. Bruce Willis, who was basically a nobody, and we'll get into that. Mm. He was known most for Moonlighting, like yeah. the comedic show, you know? yeah. His no, comedy role, yeah. Um, they paid him $5 million through this movie. In 1987. Yes, in 87. Wow. The only people that were getting paid that money is Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty. We're talking right. dudes that have well-established leading men. Guys oh, yeah. that have really paved the way. Oscar winners. Oscar winners, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. They're giving it to a guy that had never done 
never been a lead in a big movie ever. Nope. He'd been a lead in a couple or like one, you know. Yeah. And but so and then that and you, you turn around, you get five movies out of it. Alan Rickman's career, Bruce Willis's career, John McTiernan's career. These things all just go through the roof. Yeah, essentially. So for me, this is one of those times where you're like, just make a good movie with actors you don't know, and let's see what can happen. And something like this happens. Yeah. My thesis statement is. This movie defines the action movie villain. And by nature, especially because of the duality of the character, because he's both a genius terrorist. He's not really a terrorist. He's a thief. He gets to kind of be both. Right. Yeah. And usually in these movies, they're terrorists that want to destroy the world or free their comrades or whatever. Right, right. But that's just a ruse anyway to get a bunch of money. Yeah. So he gets to, yeah. to get money. So he gets to do both, which is awesome. But... He, he is the basis for action movie villains in general because he has both sides of it and by nature is one of the three greatest action movie villains of all time. He might be the greatest. By the end of the episode, I'll make my decision if he's my number one, my number two, or we my have number three. We have a minor fill-in graphic, finally. For we at least can show you guys the list. That's right. We'll this is exciting. We don't I can't have the wait graphic to see yet. This. We just have yeah. the list. We have the list. So uh, uh, that is... Okay. That's interesting because... When we talked about this, I, I had told you I'd like I've seen Die Hard maybe two or three times in my life, and the last time I saw it was maybe ten years ago, ten yeah. plus years ago. But I still remember Hans Gruber, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not in the same sense of you, where you're talking about like I've watched this movie like fifty times, hundred times. Yeah, Hans Gruber was like a legend to me growing up. Yeah. I have, you know, for me it was like different villains, like from the nineties, yeah. like you know Gary Oldman and Air Force One, like guys mm-hmm. like that, General Hummel. Um, so. I don't have the same feeling of a top three, but I do love him in this movie. I'm interested right. to see where I where I place him. It's fascinating too because you mentioned Oldman. Mm-hmm. Oldman's whole thing is I want it's, this guy freed. I want this this terrorist, uh, you know, like like uh, whatever tyrant freed from prison. That's yeah. why mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Yeah, uh, and that's like one of Rickman's things, even though it's just fake, which I think is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, right? It's great. So it's like so much of it is like based on him. Um, even anyway. the villain has humor here, and that's so cool. He's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. He's arguably as much fun to watch as McLean is. I believe oh, he's yeah. more he's, fun he's, to watch. Yeah. Yeah. When, we get to, when we get to hear a villain ranking, I mean, I can just tell you guys right now that on the top ten villains and top ten heroes, uh, Die Hard 1, Rickman, as Hans Gruber, is going to be significantly higher for me than John McClane. Wow. Interesting. So there you go. Wow. I mean, I know some people John might McClane say Die Hard 1. Yeah, some people might say McLean's the greatest. I mean, we'll see what you guys have to say. Okay. Yeah. So right. uh, let's uh, let's get into fist pump. So guys, fist pump moment in, in in a movie is that moment where you're sitting on the couch and, and you're watching the movie and something awesome happens. Maybe it's the music starts, the credits roll. There's a one liner. There's a death, a headshot, anything, and you just have that like sound like yes, I get to watch the rest of this movie. This is so awesome. You're just looking around. And you want to share it with someone. Yeah. Uh, that's a fist pump moment. So you can it can be anything you want. And we are each going to share one, and then we are going to get into the star breakdown. Cool. Uh, this time, I'm going to start with you, Andrew. So my fist pump moment is the very beginning of the movie. And like I said, I hadn't watched this movie in a while. And you already, like, he gets picked up. And you already, you see the limo, and he's sitting up front. Yeah, yeah California. <laughs> uh, and it's when he rolls into old classic L.A. in yeah. this old stretch, sitting up front. And then Run DMC, Christmas, and Hollis comes on. Oh, my yeah. God. like... Yes. Like, yeah. I'm going on a two-hour ride in a time capsule right now, yeah. and I am so pumped. It's awesome. So that, that was my fist pump moment. It, was, it happened immediately. Just a big smile on my face. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's great. I kind of have the same feeling. Yeah. We, both, we were watching, we both kind of just started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, surreal. You know what's weird is, for this movie, there's, like, every other scene is a, yeah. a fist bump yeah, moment. absolutely. But you know what the one I, I really, really love is Sergeant Powell. He gets his shot. He gets that. 
final shot in the, At end. the end. Yeah, oh, he yeah. gets to be a hero. I'm like, I love that because this guy is Kyle. just the lovable. Kyle. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it, that was great. That yeah. was actually a very good moment. And you can see it in his eyes. Yes. yes. Absolutely. I was, I was telling Drew like I think so much of the quality of this movie is actually based on the relationship between McLean and Powell. And it's mm-hmm. a very corny relationship by today's standards. Like, it's, I think probably, I would have to guess even watching it then, it probably seemed a little corny. Because it's very, it's very like, uh, you know, you're my only ally, man. Right. Like, <laughs> he literally has like a, a direct phone line just between the two of them that no other, no one else is on that, that, mm-hmm. that yeah. radio station. And I think, I think it's funny, but even, even today when you're watching it, you're like, it's very endearing. Yes. It's, it's sort of like most of the heart of the movie comes in their relationship. You know, when he's pulling the glass out of his foot. Yeah. Uh, and they're having those conversations. And it's so interesting is that that was not really the case when they originally wrote the script up. No. It was that Willis mm-hmm. was so exhausted from filming Moonlighting all day long. Cause he yeah. would film during the day and then go shoot Die Hard at night, which is why most all of his scenes are filmed in the dark or at nighttime. Um, he was so exhausted. He's like, I need you guys. I need you to give these guys more screen time. Yeah. So they yeah. gave it more to Argyle. They gave more to uh, Al. Yeah. And uh, and it was a cool thing because it ended up working out. That that buddy relationship between two guys that never meet till the end of the movie. Yeah. Is like very driving. It's yeah. Nice. Look, what, what's the biggest complaint we get about a lot of action movies is you have so many side characters that you don't give a shit about. Right. Yeah. But yeah. every single one of these guys, you're kind of like, eh, even some of the bad guys, like the dude with long hair, yeah. you're like, oh, I yeah, like Carl guy. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, I like this guy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, I think my fist pump moment has got to be, and it's a scene that wasn't actually in the original script, but when they found out uh, that Alan Rickman yeah. could do an American accent, they added it. Yeah. But it's uh, when he finds Rickman up upstairs. And he's like, and he's, he pretends he's American. He's like, oh, 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 oh god, oh god. But he's like, what's, he, what's your name? And he's like, Clay, Bill, Bill Clay, Bill Clay. Like, it's, I just love it. It's just because it's right. It's another one where I'm just like, Rickman's such a badass. Like, it's not that good of an accent. It's a decent no. accent. Yeah. But you imagine that a terrorist probably has a decent American accent. Yeah. And uh, it's just so smart. He's so it's smart. such a clever moment in the mm-hmm. movie. And the whole sequence I love, too, because... And then the other half of my fist moment is when he turns his back on him and he gives him the gun. And then Rickman's doing the, the German accent. Is it yeah. German? Yeah, it's German. Yeah. He's, like, speaking in German and he's, he's in, like, the slow-mo. He's, like, raising the gun. Uh, I just love every part of that. Where are my so, detonators? Yeah, where are my detonators? <laughs> so uh, that's Great. definitely my fist moment. I'm a huge fan there. Uh, awesome. Let's uh, let's move into Star Breakdown. This is a very, very interesting one. Break it down. Normally, we get to talk about some Shakespeare film or, like, some failed right. action movie or maybe the previous film in the franchise. Anything. These guys essentially were nobodies. I mean, really, when you consider the, the gravity of this movie, how yeah. big this movie was, how big this franchise has been, and then the fact that these guys are practically household names at this point. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Willis, yeah. positively, and I would say that... Rickman, largely by virtue of seven Harry Potter movies at this point, is pretty much a household name, too. You show his face to anybody, no one's going to be like, I've never seen him before. Yeah, Everyone knows this guy. Both generations. Mm -hmm. The action movie generation as well as the modern because of Harry Potter. So we'll get into Rickman next, but that guy was never in a movie. This was his first movie. Yeah. And he kills it. Mm -hmm. He's the best part of the movie, in my opinion. So uh, with Willis, they have Sunset, 1988, Blind Date, 87, and The Return of Bruno, which apparently is a TV movie special to accompany his album. Yeah, well, see, uh, Bruce Willis at the time, he was playing with the idea of being a musician. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he was all right. 
I had the cassette. I was <laughs> yes, yeah, I was a did. kid. I it was an old cassette I found out. I had to have that cassette. Uh, and it I they made like a mockumentary. I don't even know if you can find it anymore. Right, I don't yeah. even know if it's available. It's probably but it was a mockumentary <laughs> of be. Bruno, this this musician that kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. But it is awesome. Yeah. It is. I had a t-shirt, man. I was a huge Bruce Willis. I love it. Wow. Was, you must have been hero. amped when you saw that he was going to be in this movie. Well, I, you know, it's you. if you ever get a chance, watch old Moonlighting episodes. They're fucking hilarious. Yeah. The yeah. stuff that he does. I, there's one scene, like, that I'll never forget. He's Him and uh, Sybil Shepherd are trying to break into somewhere, and he's, he starts, like, trying to get in, and, and some dude walks by, and he's like... Would you be more comfortable in a motel room or something like that? And it's such a funny line. And yeah. he was so great on that show. But action hero? Really? Yeah, yeah you're like, you I don't think never so. thought that. I don't think no. so. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I've never seen Sunset. Sunset's never... a Western, and okay. it's James Garner. It was actually, I liked it. Yeah. I dug it. But it's it's kind of cheesy. Yeah, it's lost, lost in the archives. Nobody talks about Sunset. Lost in the archives, right. yeah. And Blind Date. For Blind Date, it had Kim Basinger, and she was super smoking hot in that. 87. Yeah. Yeah. A year yeah. after Nine and a Half Weeks, I believe. I think uh, it was 86. I think that was before. No, that was before. Wait, I'm trying to Maybe remember. Nine and a Half Weeks, 89? And this was what? Wow. No, because she did. didn't she do Batman 89? Batman yeah. 89, so yeah. nine and a half weeks maybe 87. I, I, nine and a half weeks is in the late 80s somewhere. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think um, I think you're right. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's you know within a year of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's interesting. I mean, definitely movies that you know. And he played the straight start. guy kind of in in Blind Date. She had more of the the funny yeah. stuff to do in that movie. So he was a guy. He was who could we think of who is in a position like that right now where they're kind of a they're kind of a comedic like kind of a comedic. Oh, you know what? It would have been it would have been Chris Pratt before Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. It would have been, yeah, been funny yeah, guy on the TV sure. show. Everybody kind of has a soft spot for. Was Moonlighting as big as Parks and Rec? Oh, Moonlighting was big for a while. Yeah, but until was... Mate, Dave and Maddie had sex, then they killed it. Because we're talking, okay. I mean, like, because Parks and Rec is massive, essentially. Yeah. Like, no, Moonlighting was the yeah. first three seasons were huge. Okay, I mean, it was. I think it was the first three. Because Parks yeah. and Rec took a few years to catch on to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like yeah. the second half of the run that had really a big blew cult up. following, and then yeah. it became like yeah. a household show. So it's probably Pratt, which is interesting. Because yeah, anyway, I wonder why that's interesting. Uh, let's talk about Alan Rickman. So, uh, never in a movie. I mean, you have Busted, TV movie, 1983, The Barchester Chronicles, TV miniseries, 1982, and Romeo and Juliet, TV, TV movie, 1978. Where he played Tybalt, so he really wasn't oh, okay. in it that long. So he played, okay. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah he gets yeah. killed off pretty yeah. quick. Yeah. Which is, again, I mean, Rickman doing Tybalt would be phenomenal yeah. to see. I'm sure he kills it. Mm-hmm. I just, how do you, how do you go from that to this? Well, look, well, apparently, if, oh, sorry, if you please. think about it, yeah, sorry, uh, if you think about it, like, the big villains, the best villains. Yeah, you get a Shakespearean actor. Of course, you win. Yep, we talk about that all yeah, the time on the show. Absolutely, and that's exactly what he did here. He won. Well, apparently they saw him in a play, and I can't remember exactly what play it was, but he played like a foreign dictator. In okay. It. Oh, okay. Uh, I think McTiernan saw it. It might have been one of the producers that saw it. They saw him in that, and they're like, "That's our Hans Gruber." Yeah, nice. like he's evil. He's got an accent. He's theatrical. Do you think they were like they were like? That guy is a Hans Gruber. That guy's a Hans <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how they said it too. Uh, but yeah, so that made it make sense that this guy. I mean, he got he got noticed from a play by these guys, and he goes on to play as you say one of the greatest villains of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just, I love this. I love seeing this. Yeah, people that were nobodies thrown in a movie and it just blowing up doesn't happen enough. I wish it did. No, it I doesn't. wish it did. Nowadays, 
would probably happen less. Yeah. Uh, there's far less confidence by a studio nowadays to make a movie. Oh, now it's a YouTube. If you have a YouTube channel and you get you know a million hits, I'll be like, oh, yeah, we can put you in a movie. Let's put that yeah. kid in as, as Hans Gruber in the remake. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh god, it's atrocious. Yeah. That's really scary. It's really unfortunate. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's it's pretty cool to see that you know that this is the, and it, it, honestly, it's fitting. It does make sense because. If nothing else, if, if this isn't the greatest action movie of all time, it's the movie that is referenced constantly, as your thesis statement suggested, mm. as the beginning. It's the yeah. one that started it all. So the fact that you would take the comedic cop on Moonlighting and some Shakespearean actor who detective. was Detective. Not yeah, a cop. A detective. And a Shakespearean actor who's <laughs> amazing, idiot. you know about it. <laughs> and you would make the movie that becomes this movie. It, it is fitting, you know? Yeah. It's per- yeah. It's like it's the perfect story. So... Um, Let's let's kind of get into uh, how this movie got made. Some of the people involved, the people that made it. Um, Roderick Thorpe wrote the original novel. This is this is a pretty interesting one. Yeah, mm-hmm. reading about this, and it's a little convoluted because if you go in and you, you research it, there's a couple different sources, and it's actually there's some conflicting information. So, Roderick Thorpe was a essentially a crime novelist. He was like uh, wrote about cops. He wrote a couple of books. Uh, let's see where, where I have them down here. Names of the books were... The Detective? Yeah. And, and there was a 1968 uh, movie based on Thorpe's first novel, The Detective. Now, that was successful. It had Frank Sinatra. Mm-hmm. They were contractually obligated to offer the role in the sequel to, fr- to Frank Sinatra. But at the time they offered him the role, he was 73 years old. And he turned... That's crazy to me. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It was a long time. So what ended up happening was the the book, which was called... I should have had this. Uh, Nothing Lasts Forever? Yeah. Nothing Lasts Forever. And, and this is a book that was written as the sequel to The Detective and is constantly referenced, I guess, in the genre as one of the definitive sort of crime novels. Um, now, DeSouza, who is the main writer on this film has actually come out and said that the accusations that it's based on this book are baseless. But if you go to like the Wikipedia page, the official page about Thorpe, it will say that Nothing Else Lasts Forever is the book that Die Hard is based on. Right. Yeah. Which so, is interesting because it's like, there are very, like, Nothing Lasts Forever takes course over three days. He's going to see his daughter. He's much older. Uh, the terrorists, I believe, are not terrorists. Or I, It's in here somewhere. I'll have to, che- I'll have to check it out. But it's very, very loosely based yeah. on it. Like, I don't even understand where they get the, the but premise to do it. But it's interesting. It's not one of these things where, like, you know, when you read a biography about it, they're like, it is often suggested that there are similarities. It's right. Like, it's like, it is this based, is... Die Hard is based on Nothing Lasts Forever. That's wow. It says it definitively. So much so that DeSalza had to, in an interview, dispute it and say those accusations are baseless. That is not the case. Like, it's assumed. But it's, I mean, so that's, that's very, very interesting to me. Uh, anyway... They changed things around a little bit. The roles offered to a few different people before the film was made. Yeah. A couple people turned it down. I think Schwarzenegger turned the role down. Gear Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they ended up having to, you know, give Willis five million dollars off of a TV actor to make Die Hard crazy. And the Fox exec, the, the head exec, was totally down. He was like, Yeah, yeah. This I, movie's driven this by this a star. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. We need him to feel like a star. Yeah. Five million dollars. Yeah, so DeSalza, the guy who, Stephen E. DeSalza, who is the writer of this film, pr- primarily. I mean, you have Thorpe as the base material, and then Jeb Stewart, the screenplay, right. is another writer on there. And, and Jeb Stewart has at least one other credit that was relevant. I seem to remember looking him up. But, but yeah. really, it's DeSalza as the main guy here. Uh, and he wrote a lot. I mean, this is a guy that's been around forever. Uh, I would say that the biggest thing for me is that as a director, he directed Street Fighter in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> Don't not to be confused with the Chun Li story, Street no, Fighter, the no. good Street Street Fighter. But here's a string of movies that he How wrote. Dare you, sir. <laughs> 
Commando, Die Hard, 48 Hours, The Flintstones, Hudson Hawk, which he won a Razzie for Worst Screenplay, 1991. Right. Commando. Uh, yeah, so Bruce tons of movies. The guy's been writing forever. He's still around. He's still active. He's pitching shows. He's working as a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very, very successful screenwriter. And when you think about the tone of most of these movies that he wrote, right? Die Hard, 48 Hours, Hudson Hawk, Commando. There's a campiness to a lot of these movies. Yeah, right. absolutely. Oh, Jeb Stewart, his big ones were Another 48 Hours and The Fugitive. The Fugitive was the big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I want to say, did DeSouza also write Beverly Hills Cop 3? I believe he did. Let me, uh, Which we, yes, he did. Again, uh, same same kind of deal. It's the same kind of thing where it's he, it's kind of like Shane Black a little bit, who was another writer in the same yeah, genre, yeah. obviously, who wrote Lethal Weapon. and It's these guys that understand, like... The cop or crime genre, the action genre itself, is so easy to riff on. It's so derivative at this point. You can just keep writing the same cliche cop characters, and you can inject humor in there, and the movie will work. I don't think that movies like Die Hard nowadays work as well. Um, Well, you can tell by the way that they're made now. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be extremely self-referential. Absolutely. Extremely self-aware to get away with it now. Mm-hmm. That's why they have to go so over the top with their like stunts and the, and the action. Yeah. Because they, they know that this kind of relationship, that buddy cop like joking around, not taking yourself seriously thing, doesn't really work anymore. It, yeah. it, it just doesn't tra- translate well. It's like the two halves you could look at for the tone here would be Taken is the movie that doesn't take itself or it takes itself extremely seriously, but it's extremely self-contained. Yes. Yeah. It doesn't hint at the humor. It does for now what like a movie like Die Hard would have done then. Exactly. Yeah. Where John Wick is the same thing, but it's got it's got the self-aware humor. Yes. Right? It riffs on the genre. So one is sort of comedic and one is extremely serious, but those are the sort of movies you have to make now if you want to make Die Hard. You don't get to, it's like Die Hard really in history, Die Hard is Fast and the Furious, it's Fast Seven. It's the same right. thing. It's it's extreme. It's enormous. It's the mm-hmm. biggest action movie in theaters. But they're it's they're different now. You have yeah, to make right. You have to make these. Uh, you have to make cars fly to airplanes now. Yeah, and you have to cast nine leads, and yeah. you have to mm-hmm. get you have to get Tony Jaw just to be in a scene in your movie because it makes it more exciting. Right, people will see it. Like, I mean, it's just it's just a different world we live in now. So it's very fascinating that this guy wrote so many movies in that time uh, and was so successful. The same scripts over and over and over again. Um, so then McTiernan, if you go and look at the director... Which we've talked about before on the show. Yeah, McTiernan yeah. has kind of an interesting story. Uh, Very interesting. Yeah, so yeah. his big breakout was was Predator mm-hmm. uh, in 87, which was just the year before this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny that Predator is unintentionally funny. Well, this movie is actually funny. Yeah, yeah, and it's intentionally funny. Yeah. yeah. Like, Bruce Willis's lines are supposed to be a joke. You know what I mean? Like, half of them. Like, yeah. his delivery, it's perfect. Schwarzenegger's got, like two one-liners in Predator that are intentionally funny stick around and maybe one other. Yeah, which he improvised. <laughs> yeah. But I the, don't know, that handshake there. That, yeah, yeah. yeah that, 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 that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. Pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. As we were talking about, because when we, we did Predator just a few weeks ago on the show, and, you know, there's a lot of scenes in the movie where... I was saying my favorite lines are like this captain minister does he always travel on the wrong side of the border yeah, like they're just, they're, <laughs> I die laughing even though it's not supposed to be funny he says it was such conviction yeah. such confidence so that movie ended up in, in the middle category of you know ridiculously legit it, we couldn't make it totally legitimate I tried yeah. but he was like all the lines you laughed at are supposed to be serious lines yeah. <laughs> this movie you don't laugh at any of the serious lines Every time you're supposed to laugh in this movie, you it's, laugh. Yeah. And every time you're supposed to feel for the characters, you feel for the characters. Even when a character dies, even <laughs> when those couple, you know, and, and not, you, like the good guys, the hostages, yeah. you kind of feel like this 
Ooh, that's horrible. Except, except for Ellis. But yeah. Ellis, I think you're supposed to laugh at every part of him. Yeah, absolutely. Hans. Absolutely. Bubby. Bubby. <laughs> well, you're also kind of like, when you're laughing at that scene, you're like, you dumb idiot. Yeah. Oh, oh, my yeah. God, you deserve it. Of and, course. It's great. And now now when they do that, they do it so much, you're just like, come on. No one's that unlikable. But there's guys that are... Yeah, that's a real, that guy's a real yeah. guy. He's yeah. a real guy. He's like doing coke in the beginning. He's like having sex with his secretary <laughs> next yeah, yeah. to his bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he like immediately sells out John McClane. Yeah, yeah, of like course. Because yep. he's just bored. Because someone would totally I can do get that. him for you. I can yes. get him for you. <laughs> oh, God, I love that one. Yeah. smile. You're just like, I want to hit you in the face Ellis. with a car. I <laughs> multi-million dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle a couple pieces of Euro trash. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> uh, no, so that guy's great. Anyway, so McTiernan had a very interesting career, as well as the fact that he ended up uh, going to prison for about a year right. later on for uh, being accused of wiretapping a co-producer on Rollerball yeah. uh, in 02 or 02? I believe it was 02. Basic was his last movie, which was in 03. Mm-hmm. So right in there. But anyway, he ended up going to prison for, for that whole fiasco. It was 2000 that he illegally, illegally wiretapped. It was 2002 I, the Rollerball came, came out. out. He went to jail in 2013. Yeah, so and he, it was for lying to the FBI. Yeah, wow. So it was a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, but he, you know, he did quite a few movies that were very relevant. Obviously, yeah. this is the most relevant movie he did: Predator, uh, mm-hmm. The Last Boy Scout, Last Action Hero, Hunt for Red October, Hunt for Red mm-hmm. October. Yeah. So the guy is very decorated as an action movie director. Absolutely, it's actually surprising that he isn't directing now. I don't know enough about a story to know why. Yeah. But mean, sorry, go ahead. I mean, it could have something to do with obviously jail time. Yeah, but. yeah. I mean, it was like what we talked about when we were trying to reach out to his publicist to get him on the show, and it was like, here's his lawyer's number. That's the only. That's the only number you that you get. could really? get a hold. Of. Yeah, or at least that we could get a hold of through our production. Yeah, we were looking at one of those, you know, uh, one of those sites that where you can where you can find a representation, and there's just an attorney listed. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. sad. That's yeah, sad. it's a bummer. He could have done a he could have done a lot. He could still have a really legitimate career. He could still be one of the he greatest actors. Yeah, I, I I still think he can. Yeah. I do believe that. If Polanski can still make good movies, he still came back after what he did, then <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that McTiernan yeah. can make another movie. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's even more interesting to me, though, that between 2003 and 2013 that he didn't do anything. So maybe he's just retired. Maybe he's just done. Yeah. I mean, you know? Yeah. No. Who knows? I mean, the other thing is, is that who's going to want to work with you? What producer in their right mind is going to want to work with the guy that wiretapped another person in your this business? This is true. You this know? is true. Good point. Um, yeah, so anyway, McTiernan, I, I think we, as we've talked about him before on here, is, he's a bit of a legend uh, in the genre. I do think, I do think that, as we said, action movies nowadays are so different. To capture the sort of feel and the success of those old movies in a way that's successful, as we just referenced John Wick and Taken, yeah. to, to do it in, in a way that really feels legitimate you, you almost have to do like a superhero movie or a James Bond movie or something like that. It's very, very hard to come up with original scripts and just make... You look at movies I mean, they that tri- have tried. Yeah, like Last Stand and The Rundown and things like this. That yeah. Like, they're not... They're like that... Like The Last Stand is a good example. That, that's The Rock one, right? The Last Stand is the Schwarzenegger one. Schwarzenegger, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which one's The Rock? The Rundown is The Rock one, right? The Rundown. Walking, rundown. Uh, walking, uh, walking Tall. tall. Walking yeah, Tall is yeah, what I'm yeah, trying yeah. to... I'm sorry, they're all so similar. Uh, yeah. Walking Tall is that kind of thing. It's yeah, like, dude comes back from the military to his old town. He's friends with Johnny Knoxville. There's got yeah. this evil bad guy that's running a casino. He's gonna become the cop. It doesn't work anymore. It's. I mean, that movie's kind of entertaining. We almost did it on the show. Thank <laughs> God we didn't, because I watched it and I was like, I we can't do this. I can't show. get excited about this. No, one. there's nothing yeah. exciting about it. Yeah, I mean, it's like we said, John Wick's fantastic. Yeah. You know, Edge of Tomorrow we did on this show. Mm-hmm. Edge of Tomorrow is fantastic, but Edge of Tomorrow is so. It takes such advantage of the fact that it's derivative. It, that's the point. Absolutely. Right? It totally yeah. takes advantage of it, and that's why it works. Mm-hmm. So you have to get so clever, so creative if you're going to do I it mean, nowadays. That, and that also is taken from one of the most 
celebrated mangas ever. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like it had a bigger backbone to start with. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So you wonder if, if would McTiernan be able to make a movie nowadays and have it be successful? Well, is, is the audience too smart for that? Yeah, you look at a lot of these uh, filmmakers and you wonder why aren't they, you know, like John Carpenter, why isn't he making right. these great horror films yeah. like he used to? I, I, it has time. George Romero is another one. I'm sorry, I'm a big horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 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 it's kind of sad because you know that they have the talent. You know that they could do it, but I, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. even Maybe Wes just, Craven, rest in peace. It's like, yeah. when was the last time that you were excited to see a Wes Craven movie? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. generations change, you know? Yeah. Generations yeah, change. And you look at... Well, anyway, we can just riff on that forever yeah, if we try. We but, uh, yeah, so so I do want to talk a little bit about Joel Silver. Yeah, I mean, um, we talk about him all the time. It's like the fourth or fifth <clears throat> movie we've done now that he was a producer on. Silver, you know, one of the most prolific uh, producers in the history of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a graphic I want to show here when we're talking about Silver, and it's it's his box office numbers. It's it's his top. So this is uh, this is the Bruce Willis' Bruce Willis's. top ten. We'll get to that in just one second. Mm-hmm. But this is really interesting to me, and this is adjusted for ticket price inflation, just obviously because so many of his movies were in the late 80s. Right. Yeah. And anybody listening to this on audio, we, we will sort of point out what we're talking about. But if you look at his top ten here, it's Matrix 1, 2, it's, it's what? Matrix 2, Lethal Weapon 2, 3, Matrix 1, Lethal Weapon 4, Sherlock Holmes, 48 Hours, Sherlock 2, Matrix 3. And the original Die Hard. And then the original Die Hard. So basically... Aside from 48 Hours, his top 10 after adjusted gross are none of the movies that made him famous. All of the movies that define this genre we do, mm-hmm. after adjusted, it's it's like 10 through 15. Die yeah. Hard, Lethal Weapon, Conspiracy Theory, Predator, Last Boy Scout, Demolition Man, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you have Lethal Weapon 2 and 3 obviously mixed in there, but they're sequels. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And then, I mean, the thing is, that the reason that it's that way is because of the massive success of these two franchises, of Sherlock Holmes... And yeah, and uh, the Matrix, right? You know, how can you beat the the second Matrix in box office? It's it's very difficult to do. Yeah, the mm-hmm. follow up. I mean, that's yeah. why Lethal Weapons two, three, and four are all on there. Exactly. But I, I do find that sort of fascinating. We we give him so much credit. We give him so much credit and say that it's like Joel Silver's kind of his heyday was mm-hmm. the eighties, early nineties. But then all of his highest earning movies, for the most part, have happened in the last ten years. Yeah. yeah. Right or last twelve years. I mean, I you got to put in the time. You got to put in the time, and then you start making all the money. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Even though he was already making money. Yeah, so he <laughs> he's he, made a little bit. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. He's he's found some success. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Uh, so, and, and he's a guy that you know he adapted with the times, right? He, yeah. Like some mm-hmm. of these guys, the directors, some of these actors, they they couldn't find a way to work. He he managed his obviously producer. He was able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, move with the times. So uh, then you have Lawrence Gordon, who, who discovered Joel Silver essentially. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gordon worked on a number of, of very, very successful films as a producer. John and Jeff Flash, Boogie Nights, Mystery Men, Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, the Hellboy franchise, Watchmen. I want to yeah. say Point Break as well. Yeah, yeah Point there. Break yep. is on there. Yeah. Um, which is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> so good. Yeah. So good. Um, yeah. So, you know, another sort of just like another guy that's on the team. Another guy that's a huge, huge focal point. Right, of, I mean, this guy was the, the ex- I mean, the, the president of Fox Entertainment. Two years before this movie came out, like, yeah, this mm-hmm. guy knew what he was doing. Yeah. He knew how to make money. Yeah, it's so crazy to think those guys—they were just the pillars of the genre. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Bruckheimer, Joel Silver—like these are the guys that if you were if you were an, if you were a leading man in the '90s, these are the guys whose table you'd want to be sitting at. <laughs> right. right. Oh yeah, right. you'd, you'd oh, yeah. do anything to get at that table. Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, uh, yeah, so so aside from that, I mean, I think I think that the writing is interesting to talk about mm-hmm. um you know originally in the script 
when DeSazo was coming up with the idea, he actually made Hans Gruber the protagonist. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he had yeah. to sort of change that around as, as they were going further into it, but he has said that he finds him to be the more interesting character. Wow. Which I think is really cool. I think um, a lot of people do. I don't I don't think you're alone in that. I think he, he is he is legendary and uh, definitely one of those Every time you see a movie, you go, oh, yeah, it's the Hans Gruber right. moment. Right. You, know? you really do. I think it's because his character was more thought out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Bruce Willis's character wasn't. Like, halfway through the movie of yeah. filming is when they finally figured out, like, Bruce Willis finally figured out as an actor, too. He's like, I'm just, like, not that good of a guy trying to make the best of a horrible situation yeah. and do my mm-hmm. best in it. And that's when you kind of start to get that... Like I mean, and they obviously didn't film it in sequence, so you yeah. can't really tell when it is in filming. But there's this moment, I'm sure, when they were doing it, when it was like it clicked, yeah. it started to make Absolutely. sense, and his character really, he really became that character. Whereas with Hans, it's like from the very first time you see him, it's this is who I am, this is what I want, and this is why I'm doing it. And he's just so brilliant. It's like the the parts of uh, I like as the script progresses. You know, it's like. Um, police involvement was inevitable. Like the kind of yeah, stuff that he yeah. says, you're just like he has the whole thing figured out. Right, and when they turn, they shut off. He's like, well, like they're going to shut off the power, and then yeah. it gets them through the very last safe, like the last lock on the yeah. safe, is because it's the only way to turn it off. You want a miracle? I give you the FBI. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's fantastic. So good. Nice reading, by the way. I liked it. <laughs> Thank that was you. Very good. I'm I appreciate impressed. that. <laughs> um, Hunt for Red October, man. I had forgotten that McTiernan did that. That's buried at the end it's of the movie, movie, man. Yeah, it love is. that movie. Yeah. Uh, we could do that movie on the show, right? We probably could. 100%? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jack Ryan's a great character. Baldwin, mm-hmm. Baldwin does a fantastic job with it. The only thing I remember disliking about Hunt for Red October were the effects. They were really dated, and I bet they're... That especially happens. now. I haven't watched it for a long time, yeah. but man, oh man, I bet they're really bad now. I'd want to watch it again. You know, we, we've yeah. talked a lot about doing Crimson Tide on here. Mm-hmm. Um, love Crimson Tide. That's a good movie. Love Crimson great Tide. Movie. Uh, yeah. And so that, that's probably the first of the submarine movies that we'll do on this show. Not U571? <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> with uh, with Bon Jovi. Isn't John Bon in that movie? I don't know. I don't I even remember. Not. Probably. Probably I is. think John Bon's yeah. in uh, U571. I believe it. Living uh, on a prayer. <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Talk, talk anyway. to Nero here. Say again? Let's talk some money. Yeah, absolutely. You want to go for it? No. Okay. No, I'll do it. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're getting into box office, and we, we got a few graphics that we'll get to, but we'll just start off with the basics that we always do. You know, it was produced by Fox. Um, it had a budget of $28 million, which is uh, $10 million more than James Cameron got for Aliens. And I believe $2 million more than Rambo First Blood Part Two cost. Is yeah. that right? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, so. again, you, McTiernan's great. James Cameron is a legend. Yeah, well, you know, it's not, yeah, it's not even comparable. Is, you look at there's a yeah. ten million dollar difference, and the effects of Aliens is otherworldly. Yeah, compared to this movie, Un- unreal. Yeah. So it opened. It had a soft open, as we call it in the theater business, uh, a limited yeah. open on uh, July fifteenth, nineteen eighty eight. It only opened in like what, like six hundred something theaters. Well, or? I think it's. I think it opened its first night in like twenty six or twenty three theaters that we saw. Okay, and it made you know, and then and then oh, it went up to know. a few more, and then it ended up making uh, six hundred one thousand that weekend. Yeah, and that, and that you know, small number of theaters, and then it opened the next weekend wide, uh, July twenty second. And then it made um, $7 million. It was yeah. number three behind a couple movies. Um, this is still... We can leave that up. Uh, so it overall made $140 million. Cost 28 to make. It's a pretty good turnaround for yeah. a movie with people that no one knows who they are. And for uh, yeah. just a brand new cop action movie coming out in the summer. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a case of, you know, back then, especially in the 80s and 70s even... 
word of mouth was really huge. That's all you had. Yeah, it's all you had. And you you would have a, I think Halloween, again, with horror. That was in the top ten for like a year. Right. A year. Can you imagine that now? You're lucky if you get three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's always Cameron movies, Avatar and Titanic that last forever. Exactly. So we have here the graphic um, for, these are Bruce Willis's adjusted ticket inflation prices, right? Yep. So obviously it's six cents, you know, that's can't really compete with the Sixth Sense it's when it so came out weird. at the time. When it you was, sometimes think about the highest grossing movies, like that's one of those movies that takes you by surprise when you look at the lists. Right. We're very mm-hmm. familiar because we look at these numbers all the time. But anytime anybody ever is like, what were the highest grossing movies when we were growing up? People rarely are like, oh, the Sixth Sense made all right. that money. It's mm-hmm. like, but it was such a surprise. Yeah. And it's the reason that M. Night still gets a chance to make movies, really. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which, like you said, I heard the visit was good from a few people. It's all right. You said, yeah, it's all right. It was, yeah. Yeah. creepy. Yeah. Um, Armageddon again, you know, and then you have Look Who's Talking, which awesome. is back in eighty. So, are you guys going to do Look Who's Talking? <laughs> Maybe you should do Look Who's Talking too. Yeah, or Look right. Who's Talking yeah. now, perhaps. Uh, and then we got Die Two, Die Harder, Pulp yeah. Fiction, Over mm-hmm. the Hedge, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and then you have <laughs> Die Hard at number eight. Um, this is adjusted, of course. This yeah. is adjusted, of course. Yeah. And then you have Live Free or Die Hard, and then again Unbreakable. Yeah, yeah. So. God, it's uh, crazy that M. Night's follow-up made that much less money. Yeah. With Bruce Willis again. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, I, I know a lot a of later. people that love Unbreakable that yeah. actually like Unbreakable more than Sixth Sense. Yeah. No, I, I mean, there's people that really like that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 330 or $340,000 less than Sixth Sense. That's yeah, unreal. That's yeah. Sixth Sense just... Even, that even million, yeah. million dollars less. Yeah. Yes, yeah. million dollars yeah. less. Yeah. <laughs> um, that movie just clicked with people. And I, I think that... And I remember... I, I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm not a huge Sixth Sense fan. Yeah, I just because I, I was like, eh, it's, it's, it's been a few years. Yeah. It's okay, it's a few years, but it's me. okay. But it's shocking to me that that that's still so popular and people love that movie so much. But the reason we brought this up is because you see that four of his top grossing movies of all time are of the Die Hard franchise. Yeah, yeah, and you know? this again, we, as we keep saying, this movie, you don't want to call it a mistake. It's a huge gamble. It was an enormous gamble, an absolute gamble, gamble. Yeah. to pay him five million dollars to put him in this movie. That then Bruce Willis, who really is one of the definitive male stars of the last yeah. thirty years, he's one of the greatest leading men of our time. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's not from an acting standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I had I had this thought, and this plays again on the same kind of idea that we were talking about with the movies that were made back then versus the way you make movies now. Mm-hmm. And there was a masculinity that a lot of these male leads had that I think the directors and the producers were capitalizing on in the mid to late 80s. And it carried all through the 90s into the early 2000s. And that's where you have these guys. I mean, if you were going to sort of try to come up with your list of the 10 most definitive male leads of the 80s through now, you know, it would be Bruce Willis, Tom Cruise, Nick Cage, Tom Cruise, right? Schwarzenegger, Mm -hmm. probably Stallone. Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. You know, there's a lot. There's a yeah, lot of guys. There's, that there's a few. The, the money maker, Will Smith, Brad Pitt. Yeah, it's it's the money makers, the guys that could lead movies. And in a lot of cases, there was this masculinity they really capitalized mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So and it was a different type of masculinity for most of them. Yeah, and the and the masculinity that they used, it still exists in actors today. You have your leads, and it's still taken advantage Absolutely. of. It's not like it, they don't use that you know that's what people are drawn to men want to be them women want to sleep with them that's like sort of the old right hollywood adage that's how you cast right but it's true it's like it's just fascinating to see how many of these guys careers were made by this genre existing mm-hmm. a genre that nowadays 
you couldn't just you can't just make one of these movies, throw it away, and expect you'll make a movie star out of it. This right. made Bruce Willis who he is. Four of his top ten are diehard movies, and now Bruce Willis is one of the definitive. One, like I said, right. 30, 30 years, ten guys, and he's one of them positively mm-hmm. because of Die Hard. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Without Die yeah. Hard, it wouldn't have been. Without Die Hard, the genre might not even have been. The whole way we perceive male stars right. owes so much to this movie. I agree, absolutely. Um, I mean, this and Lethal Weapon were the two that came out around the exact same time that felt the exact same way. It was like a buddy cop movie that had laughs and good action in it. And you, neither Mel Gibson nor Bruce Willis, they weren't super buff dudes. No. They were just normal-looking guys. Yeah, yeah. Like normal, normal guy that worked yeah. out. Yeah. Can I ask you, so you saw Die Hard in theaters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you recall when people saw Die Hard in theaters, there was sort of a feeling of like, this is just like Lethal Weapon. It's so great. I, I, I Yeah. I mean, I think people were just so blown away with it. You know, you know when you get one of those movies that you're just like, like I, I, I would say, Fury Road is one of those movies. You just go, this is something really special. Yeah, this is something that we're yeah. going to be talking about in ten years. And, and you know, it's one of those. You know, hey, what else is playing? Yeah, let's just go see Die Hard again. It, I right. remember, I was like, I was really young yeah. when I saw, it, like, really, really young. Yeah, but I, I, I just remembered being, wow, I want to be that guy. Yeah, right. and you know that, yeah. and I think that. Yeah, it was one of those movies, those really special moments. And everything about it, from Christmas, it just felt different. It felt fresh. I get that. One of the one of the comments that I, Drew and I were watching it and I made was, I was thinking it's funny to be a kid and having watched Die Hard. Because we were talking about, it. Willis was like 32 when they made this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think he looks like he's supposed to be playing more like 36, 37, 38. Yeah. You know, because he's got two kids. and But not, he's, she's not, I don't think he's supposed to be in his 40s yet. I think no, he's supposed no, to be no, definitely not. He's in his 30s, yeah. Late 30s. And we were talking about it. It's very interesting Kids watch Die Hard and they loved it, right? Mm-hmm. You looked up to John McClane. You wanted to be John McClane. Yeah. When you're 10 years old and you're watching this movie, John McClane is the same age to you as a premier wide receiver in the NFL or right. your favorite basketball yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. Sure. The difference Absolutely. between 24 and 38 as a kid is negligible. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at your sort of male hero. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that you could perceive them in the same way. Once you become an adult, you realize the difference. You relate. I can relate to John McClane now as an older man than I really ever... You know what I mean? Totally. I, I had someone yeah. ask me yesterday as a question. They were, they were like, uh, where did you picture yourself when you were a kid at your age now? Yeah. I was like, well, when I was a kid, yeah. I thought that 27 was like old. Like yeah. I thought that I was going to be way far along in my yeah. career married with kids. Right. Because that's like what I had seen growing up. There's but then some... you get to this age, like 27, like I'm older than that guy that just got drafted. Holy shit! Yeah, you know? <laughs> the difference. It's like it's like 24 to 30 because of because of the way that a male action hero in a movie at 44 or something can kind of act like a 28 year old. Right. 25 or 24 to 44, as long as you kind of keep yourself in shape in movies. Right. When, when you're, you're a kid, kid you're the exact like, same thing. Yeah, you're Absolutely. the same. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Yeah, the 44-year-old action hero can walk away with the 25-year-old girl at the end of the movie right. the same way as the 27-year-old guy could. Yeah, and you're like, oh, There's yeah, no difference. Perfect. Nothing, yeah. It's, it's it's remarkable. It's very eye-opening. Um, so critically, this movie was massively successful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's got an 8.3 on IMDb. Which is very high, especially for an action movie. Um, it's in the top two fifty. It the, is it the storied list. Is it in the two fifty? I don't think it is. Is it not? Eh, it might be. I think it might be. I don't know. I thought you had have an eight point one. It was eight one and higher. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's our discussion. Like uh, and then Rotten Tomatoes. We got all critics give it a ninety two. Top critics give it a sixty nine percent. Which that, standard for this? Which is standard thing. for that? And also, you got to remember that this movie. Um, 
got reviewed probably in the early 2000s. That's right. when they went back and did a lot of these movies. For some reason, it was like early yeah. 2000s they posted those reviews. And so much of the stuff now in terms of reviewing a movie like this now, it's hard to see it for what it was then. And it's movies now, like we said, they're so derivative of this movie that if mm-hmm. you're reviewing this movie in 1988 the same way with Lethal Weapon, they're both time capsules. So you have to you have to really appreciate them for when they came out, not now. It's, right. You've seen too much, like, this is the source material. You know what I mean? Yeah. There could yeah. be nothing of what we have now without this. So you have to you have to sort of give it that credit. And I think that's why all critics and users are like, this is over 90%. It's a like right. fucking classic. Right. This movie is, I'm sorry, it was uh, 121 on the top 250, yeah. which I agree it should be there for what it did for the genre. And Hans Gruber is a great villain, and, and it okay, still holds up. Hero. He's yeah. a great hero. Uh, and again, you know, it kind of created action movies, or it changed the way action yeah. movies are made afterwards so yeah well our, our friend Haggerty uh, who was on the first episode we did of this Air Force One which mm-hmm. if nobody has seen that episode because it was the very first one I recommend you guys go check it out there's a very funny lost uh, Nicolas Cage audition it is very good the role of Ivan yes. Koroshnov that's featured on that episode <laughs> um, may or may not be real and uh, it's real <laughs> he talks he talks about how this movie not only did it obviously create the genre but it sort of started the trend of put a guy in a place in a sealed off location one guy versus the whole team mm-hmm. so you put him on an airplane and it's Harrison Ford versus the terrorists in Air Force One you put him in a building you know what I mean you put him, you put him yeah. on a bus in speed Absolutely. like right it's like a, it became sort of a trope it's like the, it, it exists and like it's watch this one man take on this like this one man army essentially figure out how to get out of this situation and he's stuck in one location he's in yeah. one location can we count Christmas Samuel Day. L. Jackson for snakes on a plane though yeah, was, but that movie is so classically derivative. It's so self-aware. Right, right. It is. It it's is. so self-aware. That's the, that's the humor. So, so yeah, uh, Karen James, it was the fresh review from New York Times. Mm-hmm. So the scenes move with such relentless energy and smashing special effects extravagance that Die Hard turns out to be everything action genre fans and Bruce Willis's relieved investors might have hoped for. Mm-hmm. That's a great review. That's, yeah, that's for why what we're I saying. put it in Very there. Very truthful. The yeah. last, the relieved investors is like, yes, this yeah. is exactly what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of money they spent uh, at those times then kevin thomas and this is very funny because i well anyway i'll read it from the la times head as a grand flourish of cinematic technique it is awesome as a human drama it is a disgusting and silly mindless depiction of carnage on an epic scale no you, you clearly missed the point yes he's like you just don't get what they're trying to do here like no it's supposed and and you know what if you go watch die hard 4 i would say more than any of the movies, that's the one that gets it. It 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 plays on its own. It plays on the humor of the genre more than any of them really do. Yeah, right? yeah. you know, because three is still pretty close to this. Three is ninety five, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Die Hard four, I want to say, was like two thousand nine or eight, two thousand eight, maybe. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time, so they no, just get yeah. to make total fun of the genre, mm-hmm. and it's where a review like this would just be, yeah, you don't yeah, get that it. one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Watch exactly. Die Hard four, you'll understand what Die Hard one was. Um, uh, yeah, and then this movie is considered the best Christmas movie by it's on top 10 list of many by movies by, by him yes. our, you know, Alexis said that it was on our uh, Lethal Weapon episode check yeah. it out if you haven't seen it uh, Empire Forbes and the San Francisco Gate call this the number one Christmas movie of all time and mm-hmm. then on top of that you have Entertainment Weekly The Guardian Hollywood Reporter and Digital Spy all have it in the top five well right. Guardian is at number eight but yeah they're all top ten I mean this movie was nominated for four Academy Awards which is actually that's the one part that I think is hilarious right and granted it's all technical editing visual effects sound and sound Sound editing, mm-hmm. which it's very, very hard to watch a movie from 1988 and understand that in context. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it, unless you go back and you watch a bunch of films from that time period, you're going to be like, well, yeah, that's, yeah. Because I, I personally think this movie holds up really well, aside from maybe the, the, yeah. the that final shot, that right. one with. Right. But uh, yeah, I mean, 
technically it still looks really good well, and, and it holds up well for what it is. It's interesting about that shot because that shot was praised at the time mm-hmm. for actually dropping Rickman yeah. 20 feet on behind a green screen yeah. so yeah. you could see the real reaction of someone falling. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that green screen does not look very good. Well, uh, we talked. Falling. We talked about on the Lethal Weapon episode the fight between uh, between Mel Gibson and Gary Busey. Oh, yeah. And we Don't talked be foolish. about how poor the sound editing was in the fight, and yeah. and how like just the editing in general, and that's like you know it doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny that it's a year before this movie gets four Oscar nominations. I don't think Lethal Weapon got any. No, so, it didn't. It didn't. Yeah, you know, so that's very funny. So uh, well, speaking the, of, oh, go ahead. No, I was just speaking of action scenes. What do we think is the ultimate action scene here? We're gonna we're gonna queue up uh, the the final video here, which is the uh, the the him jumping off the roof, which is mm-hmm. definitely the most explosive scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah. sure, sure. Okay, uh, well then, real quick, while he's queuing that up, I'm just gonna mention that like they did a few things, like they used. More powerful, powerful blanks. Yeah, with bigger blasts like uh, flash flashes when they go off. Yeah, and, uh, they use that to make it look more real and more intense. And they also, for the first time, and I don't, I think maybe ever, they went and did. Um, they went to a gun range with every single gun they used in this movie. Yeah, and got the real sound from those to edit over the sound of the blanks. Okay. So at the time, again, this was probably pretty revolutionary, and right. that's why it probably got nominated for these. It didn't win, but that was just something that I thought was cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's yeah. check this out. Um, yeah, so it's a uh, you know it's a, it's a good action scene. I mean, if I had to choose one, you know, if I was going to make my decision, uh-huh. this would be the action scene. I mean, this movie doesn't have crazy action scenes like in the way Predator did. No, it doesn't. But I don't know if it really needed it. I really don't. I no. I I, th- I think it holds up with these are highlights and they're well, it's kind of the same thing as they do in, Amer- in Air Force One. There's a lot of mini battles that go throughout the whole yeah. movie with with henchmen and the leading man. Yeah. And then there's kind of like this is kind of the part where like in Air Force 1 when the the door opens and people start flying out and yeah. they capture everybody. So it's it's not really a true action scene, but yeah. it's like the most climactic. It feels like the most intense. I'd it's almost like, call it like a suspense action scene, right? You know? And then he jumps off the building, tied to the rope. I mean, tied to the hose. Yeah, you know, they had to work on this scene for six months in preparation, <laughs> and they got two hours to shoot the whole thing. Yeah. Nuts. insane. It was like twelve camera crews. What was it? We had. I think we had it written down. There was like twelve camera crews. Everyone had to stay within five hundred feet of the line of the flight, and, and and they. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like they had to be a Fox employee. Right? Yeah, 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 that's what yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, there was nine camera crews. Mm-hmm. So they they got one basically one take at the whole thing. Um, I do like I do like the humor of uh, Special Agent Johnson. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. No relation. Yeah, that's uh, my favorite lines. Yeah. my favorite lines would be. And the guy's such. They're both they're such both dickheads. Such dickheads. <laughs> I love that they like. They comedically are brought in the movie to be dickheads and get killed off. And he even, what does he even say? We need, oh, we need more FBI guys. Yeah, yeah. we need some more FBI guys. <laughs> I, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when they're when they're flying and, and the one he looks over, he's like, ah, it's awesome. It's just like Saigon. He's like, I was in junior high, you dick. Such a good line. Um, yeah. So anyway, you know, I think this is the ultimate action scene. I mean, do one of you, do you, either of you guys ha- have another one that you would? Uh, you would argue is maybe the more important or more memorable, more climactic sort of. I would almost say. I mean, not. I don't. I think this is probably the. Yeah, this one. But the, the shootout with the glass. Yeah. When he, you see how human and how just yeah. frail he is when he's like picking the glass up, just, having to run on that. That I think that scene is an amazing. I I think that's part of the reason why he's become so. 
you know, iconic. It, it, yeah. You really saw what he was and what he was made of. Yeah. You know. It, yeah, I mean, definitely he he's iconic and he was, you know, referenced and made fun of. We have one other video we're going to show sort of in the background here while we talk about it. Um, but there was a show, the Ben Stiller show. <laughs> I, do you guys remember it very well? It, it Vaguely, only, yeah. Oh, Janine Garofalo, I remember. Great. It. For anyone watching or listening, if you haven't ever checked it out, they did one season. After the show was canceled, they were nominated for an Emmy. Right. And this, it's, it's Ben, it was the start of four uh, actors' careers. It was Ben Stiller. Andy Dick, Janine Garofalo, and Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. And they all have gone to Bob Odenkirk at Better Call Saul. He is Saul Goodman. Janine yeah. Garofalo is a huge, huge actor. Andy Dick is enormously yeah. successful. Yeah. Uh, and obviously Ben Stiller is Ben Stiller. And Who? this... <laughs> and this was a spoof on the Die Hard genre. Great. Must have been after Die Hard 2 came out because they make reference to how can the same thing happen to the same guy so many times? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of just play this in the background. You know, you guys can watch it and if you're intrigued, go and, yeah, go and look go, it up please online. Please go watch it on YouTube. It is very entertaining. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Andrew, did you have an ultimate action scene that you sort of thought stood out? Uh, no, not really. I mean, there's that... The, no. No, I don't. I think those. I mean, all the things stand out. All the yeah. mini battles, like the one where dude shooting through the table. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Him fighting Carl. Uh, they're all great. Carl. Carl. That's how Carl, his brother, has been killed. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Unbox now. Unbox now. What country is this guy from? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Do you I mean, it, his, 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 like, uh, the way he carries himself and he holds his face is yeah. so perfect. Stiller just like in his prime. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like his prime was so long. <laughs> it was like behind the shopping <laughs> cart. Shopping cart. Find him. Paper of plastic, you son of a. Alright, um, favorite line. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk favorite lines in the film, guys. Um, I mean, why don't you go first? Yeah. I think my favorite line, and this is really funny, but it's not a Willis or a Rickman line. It's actually, uh, what's his, uh, Hart, Hart Bachner. And it's the guy who plays Ellis. And I love, I love when Willis walks in and he first sees Holly. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, he starts talking to him and Ellis just goes, show him the watch. And he's like, and it's just kind of this pause and he's like, it's a Rolex. It's a Rolex. Come on, don't be shy. And he's like, it's just a token of our appreciation for all our hard work. And it's just like, <laughs> he's, he's just such a douchebag. He's such a dick. This, this, is, the best. this is more for you and me, but you know who would play him? Would be Serge. Yeah. Buddy Serge. He looks, <laughs> looks just like him. He looks, ex- there's a guy we know who looks exactly he does like him. Oh, a lot like our doctor. Oh, absolutely. He's got the good smile, too. He can pull it off. That's very funny. <laughs> With or without the beard, does he have the beard? He's, he's got the beard. beard. Okay. Yeah, exactly. okay, there you go. Great guy. Super nice. Yeah, just, that's totally. funny that he could totally pull it off. I didn't even thought about that. Uh, that's, I mean, that's my favorite line. What about you guys? Uh, go ahead, please. Uh, you know, I mean, mine's so generic. Yeah. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Yeah, I mean, how you, you got not, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... But I also like the line, I, and it's not not spoken, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, I've right. i machine gun now. Right. Or, you know, they, there's so many lines. What, is, what is Hans yeah. like, what is it? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Ah, yeah. uh, yes! Yes! <laughs> so good. So good. Uh, I had two. One of them is in the trailer, so I'm not going to use that one, but it's, hey, come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. <laughs> like, I love that, because his delivery is just great. Yeah. Uh, the other one, though, is, um, and when Alexander saw the breadth of his domain, he wept, for there, no, uh, there were no more worlds to conquer. I also, the benefit of a classical education. Yeah, the other, the other one that I love is... Uh, 
the other Hans line is when she's like, you're just a, you're not right. a terrorist. You're just a no good thief. You're just a regular thief. He's like, I'm an exceptional thief. An exceptional and you should, thief. and yes. you should remember where you are or something like that. That's, that's, that's great, great too. Um, so guys, we have something very special to share with you. And if you have a favorite line that differs from ours, if we missed a moment, please let us know in the comments. Hmm. This is the first time we will be unveiling our adjusted top hero villain rankings list so we'll have eventually like a graphic or something but right. what we did is we just we went through um, this is not the actual ranking that we have talked about on the show it's close right. we have we have both don't we oh no this we, is just the adjusted yeah we just brought the adjusted okay. the reason is the unadjusted had a couple things in there where early on in the show you know for instance Max Roktansky from Fury Road we were mm-hmm. so excited we overranked him a little or <laughs> Yeah, we moved him down, though, I yeah. believe. You know, we both were really, really excited about First Blood Part Two. John Rambo. I think yeah. so much so that we had him in the top three. Rambo top was five. the one that moved the most for me. He Rock, moved down a Rock little. Stansky, I think, stayed the same. Because I, I think ours is pretty similar. Because when we watched that movie, we were more like, he's not really that great. He's awesome, but he's not that big of a character. You know he, what I he's mean? He's great. The movie itself is much better than, yeah, the, than whereas, his performance. With Rambo, in the moment, especially with... Uh, yeah. JT and Finstock on the show. Huge Stallone They fans. totally yeah. swayed our, our yeah. opinions. So what this is, guys, uh, if, if you're wondering how we came up with it, every time there's a character in one of these movies, you have to, you have to take them at face value for that character in that movie. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice Ethan Hunt shows up here in all three of the Mission Impossibles we've done. Mm-hmm. MI3, 4, and 5, Ethan Hunt. So this is just going to be Hans, well, Hans Group is only in one, but this will just be McLean from Die Hard. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with any of the other yes. McLeans. Um, so, Andrew, hero villain. That's okay. a good one. What do this you got? This is a great one. Uh, well, first I want to say to the audience that, again, we're moving studios, so I know you can't see this very well because we're just watching it from the wide cam, but, yeah. again, next week there'll be a graphic or yeah. something much more legible. Uh, for me... Actually, uh, Jonathan, if at any point in time while we're talking here, if, if you want to just like throw it up on the screen for them to see the list, if you can do that. Whatever you want to do, Thanks, brother. man. Appreciate it. Uh, for me, let's go... We'll go McLean first. And I'm going to put McLean at 14, right in front of Martin Riggs. That's good. Because I do love I do love Riggs, but I like McLean more. Um, and I don't think he's as good as Ethan Hunt in MI3, which is the best Ethan Hunt for me. Don't do this. I know. <laughs> don't do this, please. Uh, that's have, good. Okay, I like that. Yeah. I, yeah, how about for you? Where would you, where would you go? Oh, this is tough. You've got... I'm gonna, Riggs at 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to move Ripley back, but I'm going to move Riggs back. So I'm going to put McLean at 11. Um, okay. You know, I, I don't like him as much as any of the characters ahead of him on my ranking. I guess it's possible. No, he's not as good as Ripley. He, he goes he goes to 11, and Riggs goes to 12. Okay. Um, that's going to be my move for my for McLean. What do you think, Jimmy? Yeah, how you mm, feeling, Jimmy? You see, I don't have my list. I don't have the list. <laughs> so, so I'm going so, by. So, so, so what ignore I the would list. Do, yeah, I, I would put... Yeah, I would put McLean for me personally. Yeah. Just nostalgia reasons, he would be in my top five. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I think a lot of people would think that. I, exactly. I just yeah, he you know if you if you especially uh, he was just I wanted to be McLean. Yeah, right. You know. Well, the other thing is that like once we start doing more episodes, I mean this is our twenty first episode. We're, we're getting a lot of people on here. Once it gets more filled out, we'll adjust it again. Yeah, and McLean might move down because it's hard to put people in your top ten right away because you don't want to fill up your top ten exactly and then have to bump everyone out. So yeah. you know, McLean could move up for me. I could definitely see that. I'm a huge fan of Die Hard Three. I mean, you can obviously see that we have. I mean, I honestly think Die Hard Three McLean is my favorite of the McLeans. It's a, it's my favorite. Yeah. I've seen it the most. So with a Vengeance McLean, it's quite possible could jump ahead of Ethan Hunt for me. Right. Mm-hmm. But this McLean, I, I he's not quite as grizzled yet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a little. He's a little more. 
campy. And in that sense, he's better. He's just better than Riggs, but not quite as much of a badass as Ripley. Right. Because yeah. Ripley's got a flame. Oh, uh, Ripley. Yeah, Ripley would be in my top five. For oh, she's sure. insane. Oh, my she's, God. Yeah. yeah. You might notice that we have sort of, each of us have sort of our irrational loves. You'll notice that Dutch from Predator is my number two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I might put him in a little bit of a pedestal there. Uh, it's yes, all right. That's he all right. is better than Maximus from from Gladiator. That Let's is. not get into this now. <laughs> Maximus is the number one here, and it's Ben's number three. And As I you always, can see, on average, Dutch would be fifth of I our two lists. I feel like I got strong-armed into that Maximus, <laughs> but uh, let's talk villains. Okay, so for me, villain, I think I got to put Hans Gruber. Ah, oh, Jesus, this is tough. Number seven, behind Owen Davian, but in front of the Predator from the original Predator. Okay. Uh, Hans Gruber is currently my number one action villain of all time. Number one action villain of all yeah, time. Yeah, and if I, if I come up with something better on another episode... General Hummel, commander. Oh, God, I love Hummel so much. How can you make him number one, man? He's no Commodus from Gladiator. Ugh. <laughs> Hummel's... Ah, all right. right. No, I'm gonna. Go. I'm doing it. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber is my number one. one. You know number what? One. You know what? I'm gonna back you up. Yeah, he's number one. I love. He's number one. Two Absolutely, number one yes. in one episode. He's just he's, so iconic. He's the one. Look, I did a. I, I did a cheesy asylum movie. Yeah, uh, it was a cameo in it. Yeah, and uh, it was we. It was called that airplane versus volcano, and yeah. we have a guy that's the bad guy that does the that thing, and we're all like, yeah. Yeah, he's he a, a Hans Gruber. Yeah, right. It's a Hans Gruber moment. So come on, number one, man. Yeah, McGruber, Hans Gruber, Hans Gruber. <laughs> one of my favorite things. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite lines in McGruber is he's like, "You remember the assassination of President Jimmy Carter?" He's like, yeah. "No, sir, but that never happened." He's like, "Yeah, do not underestimate this man. He can be quite the fly in the ointment." And it's a real line. It's a real line from this yeah. movie. This right? movie. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone say. And then when Willis says it, I'm like, oh uh, my god, this is amazing. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah, brilliant. Gruber's good. I'm gonna hop on this 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 rating train real quick. Uh, diehards, one through five. Let's go. What's what's your order? Mm. I'll jump in first. Um, diehard one, diehard three, diehard four, diehard two, diehard five. I'm going to admit I've never seen diehard five, so it's it's kind of an asterisk there. But it I've, will be. It would be. At it the would bottom. be there, right? Oh my Absolutely. god, at the very bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, diehard, uh, probably diehard three, diehard two. Live free, die hard, and five. Yeah. So our four, and our two. Can we just forget about five? Just I, not even talk about that one. <laughs> I'm going to switch it up just because you guys both listed Die Hard as number one, which it is in the franchise for what it did. But mm-hmm. for my sheer enjoyability, it goes number three first. Okay. Three, one, three, one, four, two, five. Okay, yeah, it's fair. Just a fun little, you know. Just you're wrong, you guys but thought. that's okay. Just hey. <laughs> a little change up, a little change up. <laughs> switch it up. Um, Gotta keep it spicy. Okay, that's all right, man. So we now get to do recast, and this is a good one. It's a great one. Um, we we always recast the movie, guys, and and obviously depending on when the film was made. Sometimes if it's a new movie, we'll go old. In this case, this is a movie from 1988. So mm-hmm. this the idea here is if you were starting Die Hard now, and you were making the franchise from from the first film, who would you cast in these five roles? Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, Reginald Vell Johnson, and Hart Bachner. So that's McLean, Hans Gruber, Holly Gennaro, Powell, who is the cop who plays uh, Al, mm-hmm. and uh, Hart Bachner, who plays uh, who plays Ellis. Plays Ellis. Hans, Bubby, Bubby, Bubby. Uh, yeah. So let's uh, let's go character by character, guys. Let's let's start with Bachner. 
Okay, start with Ellis. Yeah. I'm just going to jump in because I'm so Please. proud of mine. So I don't know if any of you guys watched the last year, uh, the, the pre-Emmys special that they did when, you know, Breaking Bad and uh, and, and uh, Veep were up. Mm-hmm. And they shot the sketch where Lu- Willie, Willie, uh, Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus yeah. went into a pawn shop that was owned by Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul. And Cranston puts on, like, Hola, these big Mama glasses. Chita. He's yeah. like... Hola, mamacita. And he's just so, and he's just hilarious. He's, and he's super, he's phenomenal. super douchey. I think Cranston in the Hart Wagner role, if you put like a really silly wig on him. Like a long brown hair wig would wow. be great. Because it's kind of, he, okay. he, the corny kind of a little bit pathetic role that he plays in Drive. Yeah. But like like a little bit more douchebaggy and a little um, less. If you like, guys haven't seen this video, you have to watch it. Very it's funny. phenomenal. So that's where I go for Ellis. I that's think good. I think Krantz would be great. He's older, obviously, but that's fine. Yeah. Uh I'm gonna go Paul Dano. Ooh. I, oh. My whole cast is a little younger, and I went with Paul Dano because if you've seen There'll Be Blood, if you've seen this kid be he's a sniveling fantastic. bitch, yeah. he's the exact type of person to sell you yeah. down the river. Uh, as soon as he gets bored or tired, yeah, and, and he can play that rich, like snotty kid. So I, I, I'm very happy with my Paul Dano cast. You've used Paul Dano a bunch of times. I've used him like two or three times now, and every time I have the same thought. And maybe I need to just—I mean, I've seen all the movies you reference. I, I actually mm-hmm. like Paul Dano quite a bit. I have a hard time picturing Paul Dano as anything other than a kid. Yeah, he, he just seems like such a kid to me in my I mean, mind. The dude's older yeah. than we are, I yeah. believe. Yeah, you know? he just looks very young. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that, that they could do it. They put put some bling on him, sharpen up his hair, get some glasses on, uh, put a suit on him. I think, yeah, I think he could pull off Ellis. You know, this was or Michael hard... Sarah yeah. from uh, oh, This right. Is the End. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just do that. He was great in uh, uh, What Hot American Summer oh, the yeah. show. Oh my god! Uh, for uh, you know, this is hard for me because I, I just. Don't even want to think about recasting these roles. Uh, <laughs> it's just too hard. Uh, but you know, for for Ellis, I was kind of thinking T.J. Miller. Who T.J. Miller? The uh, he's the uh, he's the uh, the guy from he's a he's always doing com- comedies. He was in he's going to be in Daredevil. Uh, I think I'm getting the right name. Um, hmm. He's on this series. And I can't remember because I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't yeah, like yeah. TV. But he's got the curly. He was in uh, she's out of your, our, your league. Hmm. He always plays. Oh, I know. Yeah, you're talking about. this, this guy. Is a, Curly haired, yeah. funny. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I could yeah, totally yeah. see him being. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. just he could do it. He's he's douchey. He can be douchey really good. He's got good comedy. We talk yeah. about we talk timing. about who's the shit weasel and uh, this this he's definitely the shit weasel of the movie. Yeah, he's but, also the he, you know he's gonna die guy. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. he's a little bit less of a shit weasel than sometimes shit yeah. weasels. But he's still a shit weasel. Absolutely, yeah. he's eighty percent shit weasel. Yeah. Uh, all right, excellent. Uh, Powell, do you guys have for Powell? Uh, I I used him again because the first time I used him, I was like, yeah, it's probably not a good use for him. Uh, but Ving Rhames, <laughs> I love it. I can see him like kind of being like the the just like curmudgeon old like cop, eating yeah. all of his pastries at his first pregnant wife, and he can't can't serve in the field anymore. He's too like waddly. Sure, you know? yeah, he waddles. That's he, the does, line he does waddle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think that's good. I think that's that thing is pretty good. What do you got, Forrest Whitaker? Okay, yeah, now, uh, now. he's perfect. That's he's perfect. Funny. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's that's not what bad did at all. Did you see him in? Oh, South Park. South Park. Yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, I didn't didn't get to see South Park. It's really right. good. I liked it. I loved it. Yeah. Just How, so dare you. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> what do you got? Uh, I am gonna go with Kevin James. Um, I think I think Kevin James. really. Hang on, hear me out. Really? No, I don't know if I can do this. I I, I got this. I have this thing. I know it's, it's the, talking Paul Blart. I, He's I talking Paul Blart, dude. I know we're shifting race here, but I don't feel... In some cases, you, you stay accurate to race or age because it's relevant to the character. Sure. I don't think in this character's case, 
uh, it's particularly relevant. Oh, I do want to jump in and actually say something that when watching this movie, I did notice. So 1988, the fact that you have a white cop from New York as your lead and essentially his two support characters are both black, which yeah. is, which Limo is driver and, and yeah, mm-hmm. Powell. yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to take note of just because when you consider like 1988 and like, I just, you know, uh, my roommate was just telling me about straight out of Compton. I haven't seen the movie yet. I heard it was great, but it is, just yeah. that time period and everything. And, and the familiarity our culture was yeah. getting with hip hop. The and movie you, opens with run DMC with run DMC. Know? I think it's, I think it's like an interesting choice to make that, that those are his two support characters in the movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I don't think that, if you Kevin were to do it James. Today. No, so in the same way that Chris Farley when in his day was hilarious, but if you ever turned on the I'm gonna just like have an actual moment where right. I can show I can act. Oh yeah, yeah. It was always it was very always touching. Very real. And yeah. I think Kevin James is capable. I think he could I think Kevin James could pull it off if he played it straight. He I don't maybe. like your cast, but I don't disagree with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Just to say. Uh, why don't you start this one off with uh, with Bonnie? Who do you got? I'm undecided, and I want to hear what you guys have to okay, say. Okay, okay, Jimmy. Okay, mine's easy. Uh, Rosemary Dewitt. Okay, I think okay. she is yeah. kind of. She has that. She's she's pretty. Yeah, she's she can be tough. She sure. can be kick ass, but she's she's nice. She's sweet, and you you like you want to root for her, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I went with uh, again. I said I went with the younger cast. I went with Blake Lively. Okay. The reason I did her, she's super hot though. So what? She's pretty hot. Dude. He had a crush. You had a crush on uh, on I, Bedelia. I, yeah, I did, did you not? I did. Okay, I did. She just had a kid. She had a kid <laughs> okay. in the town. Sure. She definitely could pull off that feisty New York girl. Yeah. And yeah. the uppity business girl. Okay. Had, I mean, you saw Green Hornet. She does it there. <laughs> She's just so hot, though. Well, I, I don't so know what? if I would use that one. Wait, you mean Green no, Hornet? No. Hornet yeah. Was she in Green Hornet or was she in Green Lantern? Green, Green Lantern. Lantern. I mean, that's what yeah. I meant. Green yeah. Lantern I'm talking about. She, yeah. You see her all dressed up in the business suit. Right. She can pull it off. See her in the town. She's a mother. She's feisty. <laughs> she can do it. doesn't right. matter if she's hot. All Everyone's right. hot. Fair enough. Who do you got? Rosario Dawson. Well, well, she's hot, dude. Dawson's what are you talking, are you talking about? about? She's, she's, she's hotter than Blake. She is smoking hot, so. dude. Just because are she's you a different type of man's woman, Ben. You're, no, you're you're. <laughs> she's about as hot as you get, dude. I right? prefer Blake. <laughs> no, you're, I no. know you do. No, you're <laughs> tall, skinny, blonde. There's something about her. About her uh, hair. No, no, I reject you totally. Uh, all right, fine, fine, fine. What do you guys have for Alan Rickman? You got. You know, we were talking about this earlier. I think I'd love to see Fassbender play a nice villain. Of course. Yeah, he'd be awesome. We, he's phenomenal. Yeah, basically, he's great. we basically use, and I think I have one too, Benedict Cumberbatch. We use Fastbender mm. and Cumberbatch pretty much like every two or three episodes. They're the default. Like, if, yeah. like not because they're the defaults because they're so easy. They're just the defaults because right now there's a reason that Cumberbatch should play this role. Yeah, like he has it. He has the voice. He, he has is the, actually. The, yeah. he's everything. He, in wait, the, can I change mine? I want. To, yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's really good, yeah. No, no doubt about it. But I love Fassbender. I mean, Fassbender. Quite honestly, you probably couldn't come up with a single villain on this show that we've done the recast for, right? Where Fassbender wouldn't just be correct. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely. Either of those guys could pretty much play any of these. He characters. should be the Queen Alien. <laughs> ah, yes, that would be great. I love my Alan Rickman recast, and I went in kind of a funky direction. I went Peter Dinklage, and I, I the reason I say so is I imagine a situation where he's incredibly brilliant, just like he is as Tyrion Lannister. Mm-hmm. He walks in, he's got a gun, he somehow is smarter than all of his henchmen. Mm-hmm. He somehow manages to order them all around, like they all fear him in some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he just kind and he's got the sarcasm, and you believe he's, he's an, incredibly smart. Yeah, uh, he could definitely pull off that that scared scene. Yeah, It'd be great. He'd oh, be yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I like Tyrion a lot. That's that's not bad. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I like uh, yeah, yeah, Peter Dinklage. We know, Dinklage we know a lot. what you mean. Yeah. Um, 
It's time for uh, time for time Bruce for Willis. McClane. Time for McClane. Yeah, I got a I got a tricky one, and 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 hear me out. Okay, mm-hmm. look, you hired a guy that was on a comedic show, right? He wasn't buff. He wasn't action hero. Talking Johnny Galecki. Johnny from Galecki. the Big Bang Theory. He was a, oh, this guy. Get him in a gym. On. Yes, he looks like no. the average guy. No. He's a comedic Which actor. Which character? He's not Jim Parsons. I this hate guy. That show. I hate, I hate that, that show, show too. Hate that show. It's the guy, the, the dark-haired this, guy with the dude, glasses. Dude, he was in I Know What You Did Last. Oh, oh that guy. Yeah. He actually he looks more handsome in that picture than I was. No, he's kind of he's kind of uh, goofy looking. But uh, uh, I mean, he, he's unconventional, and I think if you put him in the gym, he could pull it off. You have I really upset do. me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I get on board it with was, that. It I was hard. Well, because Bruce Willis was such a chance, and it was such a risk. I'm like, if you're going to do it, risk. But at least was playing a detective before he was on this. That's true. That's true. You may as well just cast Jim Parsons and try to get me to believe that. Ugh. Hey, wait <laughs> a second. Now, yeah, I know that. Yeah, that shows. But he was on Roseanne. Come on, that was a good okay. Show. All right. Hey, you're, ti- you're entitled to your opinion. I said yeah. so you said years earlier on the show. Well, no, I alluded yeah. to it, and you I was just saying it. that I think it's fitting. I would choose Chris Pratt. Mm-hmm. He's he's another one that is a go to for us. Um, yeah. And it's because he's hot right now, and he's got the comedy movie star comedy, as we say. He's Chris got Pratt's movie star so comedy. hot right now. I think it's I think it's fitting, you know. It's like the it's the whole <laughs> it's just the whole like you know he was the same deal, just what you mm-hmm. said. Yeah. He was kind of out of shape. He was on a comic show. He got fairly prominent. He showed everybody that he could be an action star mm-hmm. in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Now he's a leading man, and I think you know you you put Chris Pratt as a cop from New York. Rosario Dawson's his wife. She the, moves because she can. See, this is a different movie, Rosario man. Dawson. That's not Die Hard, <laughs> man. That's that, had had you said Chris Pratt like. Five, four or five years ago, I would have been like absolutely, but now yeah. he's too. No, I just, yeah. doesn't work for me. He's I hear you. too big. Yeah, you need you need somebody who's kind of a no name. That's that's fair. Johnny Galicki, uh, my <laughs> guy. Again, I mean, these are no names on a scale of like these are B list actors. Yeah, okay, as opposed to A list actors. Yeah. Just like Charlie Hunnam is a B-list actor. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah. I like Charlie. Hunnam. Okay, sons of Anarchy. You know, I was actually thinking about him too. Clean him up. Yeah, he could. He could do the wife beater. He could. Do, I mean, he probably wouldn't even need to work out for the movie. They'd probably tell him just not work out for right. a while yeah. and do the movie. Yeah. But he could still have that body type. He's not like shredded. He's not like too handsome, even though he is a very good looking man. Right. Um, he's very handsome. He's I think I know handsome. a lot of women would disagree. Charlie with Hunnam and that. Blake Lively. It's just an everyday couple, guys. Just everyday <laughs> couple here in L.A. <laughs> Fan question: Who is the better-looking couple, Chris Pratt, Rosario Dawson, or Blake Lively and Charlie Hunnam? Let's just make some plain characters: yeah. balding Let's Bruce Willis wow. and his plain wife. Yeah, we did See, a good job. That, on that is why I'm sticking <laughs> oh, with my guys. Great. You, might, you may have a point. We may it's have gotten yeah, we have gotten whatever. a little lost. You've gone into a completely different movie. That's no. We need we need to go plain Jane on this one. Okay, real quick, guys, we're gonna go uh, thirty seconds. Who would you cast as McClane in 1988? Nicolas Cage or Tom Cruise make your choice give me one line <laughs> you no, I'm going first okay yeah, you're going uh, first dude <laughs> we'll go out to California they said get together have a few laughs <laughs> what about you what do you think oh jeez oh. oh man I can't I can't even think I can't I'm trying to think of Tom Cruise I can't even do it can yippee ki Motherfucker! There, he did it for <laughs> there me. You go, there you go. That's fantastic. Done. Uh, I would, if I was going to cast uh, one of them in '88 to play this role, I cast Nick Cage uh, over Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. even though Cruise is my all timer. Um, I just think 
I think Cage, and especially actually even back then, Cage it, could have actually maybe done this. He, yeah, he yeah. actually could have. This would have been. He, he was the right age. It was the right time. He was not a joke. Mm-hmm. He hadn't won an Oscar yet. He was still like making the Cotton Club and Firebirds right, and all those right. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I, but think it I would actually go. fit. Like, yeah, it was like yeah, a real conversation. Yeah, yeah. We've, I don't think we've ever had a real conversation with the Cruise versus Cage. <laughs> yeah, pretty much not. <laughs> so last question. Uh, last question. Which category is this movie in? This is a doozy. This is yeah. a doozy. Uh, we have three categories on the show we like to use. The tough thing is, category number one is totally legitimate. Uh, that is a movie that is entirely taken at face value. There is no amount of it that you feel like is unintentionally funny. It's mm-hmm. just a high-quality film. Aliens, so, Gladiator. We use The Fugitive and Die Hard as the usual examples mm-hmm. of this category. Um, but just as we found with one Predator. of the other ones... Now, we don't ever use Predator as an example. What, there's one movie that we use as an example movie that I think changed categories for us. Oh, I see what you're talking about. The Rock? Uh, was that it? No, I haven't done uh, it yet. But anyway, that's yeah, totally legit. What was that? Totally Ridiculous is like Face Off or Con Air, which is like falls off a cliff mm-hmm. of absurdity. And then Totally uh, Ridiculously Legitimate is like the combo category. It's like campy but extremely compelling. Maybe it's a little cheeky at times, but overall it's like a great movie that just happens to be a little funny. So Predator ended up being... Totally classic in that right. sense. Unintentionally funny, but great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to jump in. Yeah. And I'm going to say that we have been falsifying information for 20 episodes. This movie is not totally legitimate. It is ridiculously legitimate. And the reason for this is the one-liners that yeah. Bruce Willis has, the fact that it doesn't take itself incredibly seriously like movies that usually fall in the totally legitimate category do. Yeah. And again, we've been sitting here laughing and quoting quotes that we think are awesome, but mm-hmm. also incredibly entertaining. Yeah. Not straight up like predator status. Right. But they're still not that same tier of like, I mean, when we watch The Fugitive, when we do The Fugitive on the show, there's not going to be lines in that movie that we're like, oh, he was, you know, yeah, right. whatever. What, I don't even know any of them. Yep. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call it legitimately ridiculous. Ridiculously legitimate. I'm putting in the middle category. Jimmy? You know, it's funny. When I looked at your list, you, you, they gave me a list here. You got, you got this list. And I was like, uh, really? Die Hard tr- totally legitimate? Yeah. And, I, I, yeah, I would agree with you completely. It's so much fun. There's a lot of humor. It's a little over the top. Ridiculously legitimate. Absolutely. I'm going to stick to my guns. This movie is totally legitimate, and I'll tell you the reason. Yeah, but you like Blake Lively more than the rest of it. It's because... I believe, as I said earlier, this movie succeeds in the way that it wants you to watch it and feel. Mm-hmm. It's self-contained as an action comedy, but when the stakes are supposed to be real, they're real. When they're suppo- when it's supposed to be funny, it's funny. Mm-hmm. I don't think that at any point in time you're like, this movie is dumb. It's making me laugh mm-hmm. because this yeah. stupid thing is happening. I do agree the tone is different than some of the movies we throw in that category. So we throw Terminator 2, and we throw Aliens, and we throw gladiator and we throw other movies like that into totally legitimate i think die hard is totally legitimate because it it succeeds on every level it doesn't it never loses you it never feels like they wanted you to feel something and you don't it's like tombstone doesn't tombstone will make you laugh at moments but it's awesome so it's the rock is the same thing the rock Mm -hmm. wanted to be totally legit he i mean michael bay wants his movies to feel totally legit but they're not. They're funny at times. So do you feel that this is different, is perceived in a different way than Edge of Tomorrow is? Because Edge of Tomorrow we put in Ridiculously Legitimate. Did we? Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Edge of Tomorrow is totally legit, but yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, 
I think that they're perceived differently because, as we said, Edge of Tomorrow is intentionally derivative and takes advantage of the genre, just okay. the action movie genre. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a different can of worms. It's it's the intelligence level of that movie is so different than this. Right. You didn't need that intelligence to make the movie good back then. You just needed to make the first movie, and this is the first one. And so it's sort of like, I don't think you can fault the one-liners. You can't fault the character or any of the humor because, like, that's exactly what McTiernan wanted, as we saw. And the, and the reason I say this is because, if you, as we said with Predator, he made Predator the year before. Right. And he wanted Predator to be totally legit. That movie is supposed to be totally legit. Okay. But it ends up being <clears throat> ridiculously legitimate because it's funny unintentionally. Mm. This movie is intended to be exactly what it is. Right. So so my last my last rebuttal, yeah. and I'm not necessarily trying to, to sway your opinion. I'm just yeah. trying to yeah, maybe yeah. help Absolutely. myself understand. Mm. The last one is Lethal Weapon. Yep. That movie was definitely in the middle category for us. Yep. Almost in the bottom category. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that, that t- the tonality of that movie is much different than this movie? I think that Lethal Weapon intended to do kind of the same thing that this movie intended to do. But when I watch this movie, the time capsule nature doesn't distract me. When yeah. I watch Lethal Weapon, a lot of the writing and a lot of like the sort of the time capsule nature is unintentionally hilarious to me. Yeah, right. but there's moments in Lethal Weapon that are kind of heartbreaking. When he, the gun stuff, I, I, I thought the suicide stuff was kind of creepy and yeah. kind of heartbreaking. So I, I didn't think that was... I, it's Yeah. I, for, for me personally, Lethal yeah. Weapon had aged in a way that was like, this is entertaining, but it's it's really silly. To be fair, I haven't watched it for a it long time. It does feel time, much different so, than this movie. Yeah. We watched yeah. it and it was sort of... I mean... One of my favorite lines are just Gary Busey just being Gary Busey. Officer Murtaugh. Officer Murtaugh, don't be foolish. Look at the hardware. (laughs) You're grounded. Like, that's, so that's why. Okay. Yeah. I I stick to my guns. I I will drop this conversation. We can say goodbye to these beautiful people. But we will remove Die Hard as an example. Yes. Because it's not unanimous. Yes. So we'll replace it with a different example when defining the categories for anybody who's paying attention. Guys, thank you so much for watching. We need to give away a mug. We need to give away a mug. And you know what? I actually picked out who I wanted to win this week when I went through the uh, reviews. Is it Brian Hurst? It's Mr. Brian Hurst. Ah. And it was totally random. I did the whole (laughs) thing. Closed my eyes, spin the paper around, boom. You got a mug, buddy. Again, wow. we're in the process of ordering them, but you've got one. You can you can stop coming to our homes at night and knocking on the door. <laughs> Wait, when do I get a mug? I want a mug. When yeah. we get them. You'll get them as soon as we get them. Uh, Hearst, mug for you. Coming. Give us time. We will get it to you. Give us time. We will get you give the mug. Time. We will get you the mug. Congratulations. <laughs> you wanted a mug. I give you the FBI. Thank you guys so much for watching this show. Jimmy, thank you for coming and, and hanging out with us. And Where can we find you, Jimmy? I'm on JoeBlow.com. I'm on ArrowInTheHead.com for all the horror lovers out there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Jimmy2TheO, Facebook, James Oster, I got Instagram. I'm all over the place. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mr. Drew, where can I find you? Uh, <laughs> I don't have all those cool things. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewGuy. Uh, you guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, usually Twitter and Instagram is pretty much what I do. Yeah. So check, check that out. MySpace. He's on MySpace. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And we'll see you guys in a new studio next week. Thanks for stopping by. Take care, guys. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 